Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Happy Father's Day, all of our campuses, all of you online, all of us here at Frisco E. So glad you're here. Um, you know, this, this day is a, a great day, right? If you, if you have your fathers with you or if they're alive and you have a great relationship and, uh, and so forth, it's, it's an awesome day. And, and regarding that, there's also the other side of that. If you have a, a dad that's passed away recently, this would be the second Father's Day that I don't have my dad. And it's weird. It, it really is. And maybe you've lost a, a dad or a husband or a father. Um, maybe you've lost a child. And Father's Day is a hard thing. Um, maybe you have a strained relationship with a child. Maybe you're a child and you have a strained relationship with your father. And, it, and, the, and this day is just a, another reminder that either they're gone, uh, another reminder that it's not that big of a deal, it's not that great of a day. Man, whatever, I'm hoping and praying that the Lord um, brings peace to you to you and your situation, whatever it might be. But nonetheless, it's a great day, and, and we welcome all of you fathers, and I say a, a real heartily happy Father's Day to all of you. And if you don't have a great earthly father, we have a heavenly father who is awesome, and he loves you with an unconditional love. Uh, before I dive into Father's Day message, next week I'm going to start Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews, so we'll be in that the rest of the summer. Uh, today, Father's Day, before I get to that message, though, a couple of things. If you're a young adult between the ages of 18 to 28, obviously now 29 is over the hill. So, man, <laughs> bummer to be you if you're 29. But... Um, if you are 18 to 28, um, we'd love for you, if you're back from college or if you're in this age group, you're a college student, you graduated, maybe you're a young professional in some way, uh, we're going to have a worship night at the Knack Theater. My good friend Jason, who owns this, uh, has made this available to us. We're so grateful. But you can, we, it has about 200 seats, so we need to know you're coming. So if you can uh, let us know uh, one way or another, but this is a QR code. You can just take a picture of this real quick while it's up there. And uh, you can register through that QR code. So if you're between the ages, and maybe you just graduated high school, um, we welcome you. We'd love for you to, to become a part of this before you go out to college or whatever you're going to do. Uh, we'd love to be a part of that. Now, this is, uh, as most of you know, we're in a building process of our Prosper campus. Excited about this. We're in the second quarter of our year. So June ends that goal of 500,000. We're almost at 400,000. So a couple more weeks to June and, and uh, we'd love to hit that goal because our whole heart is that this would be paid for in two or three years. So that can't happen if we don't all do it together. So if you're um, able to join us, able to be a part of that journey, here's just a few pictures of, of Prosper and the, and the uh, the work that's been done. I mean, they're, they're going to town, uh, getting in the foundation uh, ready. So that's a beautiful piece of property. So it's on Prosper Trail, east or west of the tollway. So would love for you to be a part of that if you can and, and over the next two weeks. And if you're not, maybe you're new to Hope and you've not been a part of this, we started a campus in uh, Prosper, Texas, which is just north of Frisco. And uh, we're meeting in the high school right now. So shout out to all my Prosper people, I love you guys, and thanks for, for being in a high school. Thanks for setting up, tearing down, 
And in about a year, maybe less, uh, we're going to have a building. And so we're um, making our way. And the, and the whole reason, listen, the whole reason we're giving is not to build a building. The whole reason we're giving is because people matter to God. And when they matter to God, they matter to us. And that's why we do everything that we do. I hope you know that. So join us if you can. Now, Father's Day. thought today I would set the bar high for fathers because your wives have emailed me and have let me know that you're a slacker. No, no, no. <laughs> I had a couple emails, but, but that's okay. No, I'm kidding. I did not. This, this uh, past two weeks, I, w- I was on a motorcycle ride and I was in uh, South Dakota, uh, Sturgis area, and uh, the southwest corner of um, uh, South Dakota. Beautiful. I was in Colorado as well, but um, I hadn't ridden in South Dakota in a while. And so um, there's a lot to see. It's beautiful. If you've never been there, it surprisingly, you think of South Dakota, you think of farm, you think of flat, and this is just a beautiful area. But anyway, there's, there's some great things to see. Crazy horse, uh, uh, the, the chiseled out of, out of stone, uh, still a work in progress, great stuff there, uh, beautiful things to see. But Mount Rushmore is probably the most popular thing. Four presidents are chiseled into the granite of uh, that mountain, and you got Tom, uh, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln, and millions of people have been there and take pictures, and it's, it's just an awesome thing to see. So, Having said that, I, I thought about fathers and biblical faith heroes. Now, if you were to make a monument of some of the biblical faith father heroes, who would be chiseled on that mountain? Now, there are four presidents listed on that mountain, but I'm going to give you five examples today because God is always bigger and better than what we can do, right? So I'm gonna give you five, let's just say five. This is gonna be out of the Old Testament because the New Testament doesn't really give us a a bunch of examples of fathers in the New Testament. Um, Talks about fathers, but the Old Testament gives us some some really pretty astounding examples of fathers. So who would be on the monument of the faith fathers of the Bible? I think the first, let me give you an example. The first would be Adam. You, you have to put Adam in there because he's the first father, right? First father ever. And God created him in his image and, and so forth and so on. The second thing about Adam is that he named all the animals. That's pretty cool. I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd be fun. I love animals. And I, on this ride, I saw, we saw buffalo and we saw, you know, uh, lions and tigers and bears and all. No, I'm kidding. We didn't see all that. Named all the animals, and then he's the first man to ever see a woman. How special is that, right? I mean, I mean that not in a weird way. I just mean that, like, okay, anyway, let's just, he's the first man. Walked with God in the Garden of Eden. He had this special relationship with God. Now, if you've ever read that account in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, there's this relationship that God physically comes down in the garden and walks with them. Credible relationship that he had. And, and then uh, he's the father of everyone. So Adam's got to go on that monument, right? Because he's the first ever. Pretty cool. Now, another possible uh, chiseled name or face on that monument would be maybe Noah. Noah, a great man of faith. Um, God used him. Let's, let's put this on the screen. God chose him to save 
humanity from the great flood. I mean, just really incredible story of never seeing rain, but yet God says, build a boat. Never seen a boat, but yet God said, build a boat, and he trusted him. So he built that ark, and then next, uh, he's in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews. So if we're, we're going to study Hebrews in the, for the rest of the summer, and when we get to the end of it, chapter 11, 12, 13, but in chapter 11, um, there is listed a whole bunch of men and women that are so-called faith heroes. Noah is, in, is mentioned in the faith heroes of the Bible. Pretty cool um, father figure of, of, of the Bible. Now, we've got to put Abraham on this monument. Abraham, uh, he is the father of the nation of Israel and actually the father of many nations, trusted God to move to a land that he had never seen or heard. He was living in modern-day Saudi Arabia or somewhere in there. And then God said, I want you to move, and I'm going to use you to start a nation, numbering the sands of the sea. I mean, it's a great story. Also, was willing to take the life of his son Isaac, his only son, that if God required that of him. That's a great story, and God did not require that of him, but he tested Abraham to see where his faith was, and his faith was in the right place. Abraham is mentioned as well in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Great, great hero of the faith. Now, I think another um, face on that monument would be Moses. I mean, he is one of the central figures of the Old Testament. And, and actually, Exodus through Deuteronomy, the last four books of the Pentateuch, are really kind of about Abraham, I mean, I'm sorry, Moses, taking the children of, of Israel out of Egypt. So it starts, though, his story with a, a miraculous saving at birth. He was, he was saved as a little Hebrew kid. He was ordered to be killed. All the, all the males were ordered to be killed because Pharaoh thought they would overtake, overpopulate Egypt. So he had the early, you know, young little males killed, and, and his mom put him in a boat, and he was actually raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Cool story, but Moses... Man, pretty cool things about him. Then God would use him and call him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Great story. Movies have been made about Moses. He's got to be on that list. And, and then also God calls him one of the humblest men on the earth. The humblest man. I don't know if that's the right word to say that, but humblest man on the earth. He was a great leader. Wasn't a type A. He was a, more of a laid back kind of leader, but he was humble in the way that he led. And then he's also mentioned in the Faith Hall of Fame. you got to put Moses on that father monument, uh, father of faith, father of kids. Moses is, is pretty cool. Let me give you one more. you got to go with David. David, uh, King David, the second king of Israel, but the most famous king. David is um, described by Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And at an early age, David had a special relationship with God. I mean, in the fields as he was a shepherd, his, his relationship with God was more New Testament-like than probably anybody in the Old Testament. His relationship with God was so personal and so real, and it comes out as in his writings. Uh, David uh, was anointed king at an early age. He killed Goliath with a slingshot. He uh, becomes the most famous king of Israel. He writes most of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And he's also mentioned 
in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, all of those guys, now we could put some more incredible, incredible characters of the Old Testament, father figures, and uh, there's something that they have all in common. That besides being all Old Testament, besides all following God, they have something in common. And that is this. Let me put it on the screen. They are all flawed fathers. Not one of them, as famous, as monumental as their influence on earth, much less the children of Israel, and then our faith, is that every single one of them was tremendously flawed. Let me give you some examples. Adam, just to start with him, deceived by the enemy. Now listen, he is standing there. The Bible says he's standing there as Eve is talking to the enemy, and and the enemy is deceiving her, and he's just standing there like we do, guys. We're just standing there. And no leadership, no like, hey, uh, that's not right. That's not what God said, but he's just standing there. And then when God holds them accountable, what does he do? He blames the woman, the woman you created. And that's been the beginning of all of our problems. But, (laughs) no, I'm totally kidding. You know that I'm, no emails on that. But he's deceived by the enemy. And then as they have kids, totally dysfunctional. Cain kills Abel. I mean, from the get-go, this guy, I don't know what he did, but but there were some flaws going on. I'm not saying it's all his fault, but, but Adam was flawed. Adam, the father, the first father, wasn't perfect. Noah, here's a great story about Noah. He, uh, he got drunk and laid naked in his tent. I don't know what all that meant, and I don't know in that culture, but it was an embarrassing thing. It was a dishonoring thing. Um, and one of his sons sees him naked and tells all the rest of the kids, and, 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 and Noah gets embarrassed, and he gets mad at that son, and because he's so mad at him, he's embarrassed, he curses his grandson, that guy's son, because of his embarrassment. You talk about dysfunction? You talk about the guy who created, or I mean, who, who listened to God and, and made this boat, created his boat, saved humanity and all that stuff? But Noah wasn't perfect. Abraham, father of many nations. Here's his story. He lied to Pharaoh as they were traveling. He, he lied to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh that his wife was actually his sister. And so Pharaoh took his wife as, t- took Abraham's wife as his wife. Talk about weird. Talk about reality TV. This was Abraham. I mean, flawed to say the least. And then They couldn't have a kid, him and Sarah, his wife. So he listened to his wife and had a son with his wife's servant. Now, I know this is, again, reality kind of TV. But Abraham wasn't perfect. Moses, humblest man, killed someone, fled and ran. He had an anger issue. How many relate, don't raise your hands, but how many relate to that? My dad was, oh, my dad was almost perfect, but man, he had a temper. And he was the kind of guy that, I mean, he could take an engine apart, put it back together. 
He was just that guy. He built the, I mean, he built the barn in our back, back area. I mean, he, he made the patio. He, he actually dug the hole for the, put the concrete in. I mean, crazy stuff. And so I would go out there to help him. And, and his, the famous line that my dad would always say is, hey, go see, with, go see if your mom needs help. Because I was not inclined like dad. I was not the mechanically, you know, and I'm a very intelligent person. But not in that way. And man, he would get angry. You hand me a screwdriver and I'd hand him a hammer. You know, something stupid like that. Some of you relate. Some of you have some anger issues as well. Moses did. And because of it, he was not allowed to take the people, the children of Israel, into the promised land. And Moses wasn't perfect. David, man after God's own heart, right? Commits adultery. You know the story. Most of you know the story. Commits adultery as a king. And then she becomes pregnant. And so she's married to Uriah, who's a military guy. And so David, to to solve his problem, sends him on the front lines and he's killed. Murder. David, to say the least, has a dysfunctional family. If you read the story of David and his kids, unbelievably dysfunctional. David wasn't perfect. Sometimes Father's Day is one of the worst days of your life when it comes to church, right? Because you get to church and all you're going to be told is how bad and how, you know, you fall short and you should spend more time in the Word. You should spend more time with your kids and you should spend better, you should be a better husband. And, and you know, father, now mothers, we honor moms. Oh, you're so great. You're so beautiful. And dads, man, come here. What I want to do is help you understand. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to, to, to be all that God wants us to be, but I do want you to know that you're never going to be perfect, Dad. And you're probably never going to live up to the expectations of your family or your wife or you know anybody else, but neither do they. Dads, one of the, one of the things I, I felt on my heart was not, not to let the pressure off of you in, in, the, in, in, in the sense of a good way to become all that God wants you to be, but, but I think many, many, many times we, we fall short so much in, in some areas of our lives, and maybe you've made some major mistakes in the past. Many of us have made major mistakes, like public mistakes, and we are shamed for the rest of our lives by our family, by our spouse maybe, or, or by society or whatever. We're just, it's just like, oh, my gosh. And we compare ourselves with each other, maybe biblical figures. We look at the good things about Adam, the good things about Noah, the good things about Abraham, the good things about Moses and David or Paul or Peter or whoever. And when we look at the good things of their lives and we think of our lives, how many, as your faith goes and as your fatherhood goes, would be on a monument in the future of the faith father of the 2022 year or whatever. No, no, probably none of us would say, no, it's probably not going to be me. Many times, maybe it's Billy Graham. Maybe it's your father that was just awesome dad or grandfather that was just awesome and you just, man, if I, you, maybe these words have come out of your mouth. If I could just be half the man that they were, half the father that they were. We compare ourselves. Let me, let me put on the screen like this. Don't compare what you think you know about others to what you do know about yourself. 
You can look at a whole lot of fathers. You can look at a whole lot of figures. You can look at a whole lot of people and go, man, I wish I had their money. I wish I was more successful. I wish I was better looking. I wish I was that father because all the pictures on Instagram and social media, all of them are like, hey, coaching soccer, coaching this. Hey, I'm, I'm here at this. I mean, it's all good. It's all good. But you don't know what you don't know about somebody. So as fathers, what I want to help you to understand is that you're never going to be perfect. But that doesn't mean you quit trying. You're going to be flawed. You're going to make mistakes. But let me put it on the screen like this to help you understand. God didn't call us to be like Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, or David. He called us to be like Jesus. Now, we can learn from mistakes. We can learn from the good things of Moses and all those. But he didn't call us to be like them. He called us to be like Jesus. So with that in mind, I have one challenge for us as dads today, and this is obviously for everybody. Anybody can, face, can take this challenge, but here's my challenge for all of us fathers here at Hope. What would it look like for every father at Hope Fellowship to commit or recommit to the journey of truly following Jesus? I'm not talking about cultural Christianity. I'm not talking about culturally um, following Jesus. Many of us were raised Catholic. Many of us were raised in church in some way, Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal or whatever. And you have a cultural identity with God because of your family. You were raised in America, perhaps. Maybe not all of you were raised in America, but a lot of us were raised in America. And in America, church is kind of a normal thing. Maybe in the country that you come from, it's not, but here it's, it's normal. It's kind of a cultural thing. It's accepted to go to church. Nobody, I mean, these days it's less and less accepted, but these days nobody thinks you're weird if you go to church. They're just like, okay, you're a religious person. That's fine, whatever. I'm not talking about cultural identity with Jesus. I'm not talking about oh, my, my papa went to church and my mima went to church. And on our money is in God we trust. I'm not talking about that kind of relationship. I'm talking about what if every father at Hope Fellowship decided to recommit or to commit to truly follow Jesus? Now, the good question would be, if I were you, is what does that mean? Are you saying I'm not a Christian? No, 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 no. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Because many of us believe in Jesus. We just don't follow him. Ooh, now I'm going to get tough. Many of us believe in Jesus as our Savior, but we don't follow Jesus in our everyday lives. My challenge today is not to be like somebody else, not to compare yourself with anybody else, because you don't know me. Really, most of you don't know me. You don't, you don't know Billy Graham. You don't know whoever it is that you may look up to, and the, the thoughts, and the inner stuff, the secret stuff. So, so we get our eyes off of each other, and we just get our eyes on Jesus. And if every father, every mother, every teenager, every young adult, if everyone would just, would just simply choose to truly follow Jesus. Now, the good question would be, what does that mean? Because wouldn't it be easier if Jesus were physically here, like standing right next to me, and he says, come follow me, and he turns around and starts walking, you're just going to go, okay, I'm going to walk. It would be easier that way. But this following Jesus is a little complicated. It's not that easy. Because he's not here physically in the sense of like, I'm going to follow him like to the Sea of Galilee or to Jericho or whatever. It's the spiritual following that becomes a little complicated for some of us. And so 
answering the question, what does it really mean to truly follow Jesus, not just believe in him, is a good question. And Jesus answers it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Here's what he says. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Two things. Give up your own way, take up your cross daily. Now listen, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Great portfolio, great stuff. What what does it profit if you leave an inheritance for your kids, but in the process you, you get lost or destroyed? If anyone's ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So what does it mean to really follow Jesus? And I'm so glad this passage is in here to help us understand practically how it is that all of us begin to follow Jesus. There are two things that we've already mentioned. The first one is give up your own way. The second is take up your cross daily. Those are the only two things that Jesus, well, I said the only, but in this passage, the only two things that he says, hey, you want to be my follower? This is what it means. Let's start with give up your own way. What could that possibly mean? Give up, what do you mean give up my own way? Let me just list them. Your plans, your dreams, your will. I surrender what I want. Jesus taught us to pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not mine, yours. That's with everything that we have. That's with every decision that we make. That we, many of us, many of us take matters in our own hands. Many of us say, well, I'm going to just do this because I don't know what Jesus would say. and I, I, I don't know about this prayer thing. I don't hear from God. I've never heard his audible voice. And it's, it, it, I understand. It's not as easy as just coming on this stage and telling you, hey, listen to Jesus. Do what he says. I mean, it's not that easy. But yet, he calls us to give up our own way. To surrender our plan. doesn't mean that, we, that he doesn't have plans. doesn't mean that we can't do what God has gifted us to do with talent and the talent that we have, but it just means that in every way in which we do those things, we surrender that. We give up our way. God, if you don't want me to move across the country to take that job because it's better pay, then I'll stay right here. You tell me what you want to do. Give me peace. I pray. I don't know what it really means to not go my own way. I think I'm doing what you want, and I understand all the complications, but what would it hurt if before we did anything in life, before you married that person, before you went to that college, before you made that decision, we just say, I'm going to give up my own way, and I'm going to surrender my plans, my dreams, and my will to you. There's a story that Jesus encounters this. It's, 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 he's called the rich young ruler. He's a religious guy, and he's got a lot of money, and he's in leadership of some sort. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. And Jesus, over the course of the conversation, he goes to the end, and he says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, we look back at the story and we go, man, that guy, he wasn't committed. Man, that guy. But how many, if Jesus came to you right now and said, hey, I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. I want you to just go to India or I want you to go to wherever. How many would do that? 
And many, listen, many of us guys, fathers, we're like the rich young ruler in many ways. It says the rich young, he just kind of bowed his head in sadness and he walked away because I believe in you, I just don't think I can follow you. And many of us do that. We read books on becoming a better father. We read books on becoming a better husband. Not wrong to do those things. But let me just simplify it for you. I really kind of think you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better father, you'll be a better person if you truly follow Jesus. Now, it's not wrong to read those books, but I'm just saying, why don't we start with how Jesus told us to follow him? Let me put it on the screen, because it's not going to happen next week. If you decide to do this, it's not going to happen next week. Giving up your own way is a lifelong journey of surrendering our way for the way of Jesus. It's a lifelong journey. You're not going to be perfect at it. If you, go, if you decide today, I'm gonna, John, I'm gonna, that's a good message. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to make Jesus, I'm going to follow him truly. Well, next week, you know what? You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. You're going to flaw. You're not going to do something right or whatever. It's a lifelong journey, guys. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon that we sign up for. But many of us are hanging on to our lives. We're hanging on to what we want. We're hanging on to our way. And Jesus says, when you do that, you will lose it. Guys, what if today we truly decided to give up our own way? God, in every area of my life, I want you to lead the way. What would happen in your life if we did that? The second thing is, take up your cross daily. Now, what could that possibly mean? Well, the cross in the first century, Rome was the governing force, and their form of capital punishment was the cross. We know that story. Most of us know that story. And the cross represented one thing, death. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, it doesn't mean go get on a cross, go kill yourself, die. It's a spiritual thing. Paul describes it this way, Galatians chapter 2. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual way in which we say, my way, my will, my dreams, my plans, I crucify them, or my sin, whatever, the good and the bad. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me put it on the screen like this. Taking up our cross daily is the lifelong journey of dying to ourselves, our own way, and allowing Christ to live larger in us than our sin. Now let me, let me explain that just for a second. When we use that scripture, you know, my, my old life has been nailed to the cross. I die to myself, Paul says this over and over this kind of talk, well, what does that mean? That, that means that my old self, my sin, past, present, and future, is nailed to the cross. 
And instead of letting my sin and my old self dominate my life, I'm going to let Jesus live larger in me than my sin. Because I promise you this, how many, you could raise your hand across all of our campuses, how many have sinned since you gave your life to Jesus? Raise your hand. How many have sinned, to, Bob, raise your hand. How many have sinned today? How many have sinned today? You don't have to raise your hand for that. But how many of us on a daily, weekly, we all sin? So what could this possibly mean? This is a life, you're welcome. This is a lifelong journey of just saying, I'm gonna let my sin every day, I'm gonna let my flaws, my imperfections, my mistakes, I'm gonna let them be crucified with Christ. This is what that means. It doesn't mean we never sin anymore. It means I'm gonna let that sin that I hate that just seems to dominate my life, I'm gonna let Jesus live larger, which he is, than my sin. Guys, what would it look like if we truly followed Jesus? What would it look like? Let me put it on the screen like this. Following Jesus is not about perfection, it's about perseverance. Stop thinking that you can live up to the standard. You can't. And we beat ourselves up. We get beat up because we're imperfect. Because we drink too much. Because we lust too much. Because we cuss too much. Because we whatever. I'm not condoning any of those things. What I'm saying is, guys, you're never gonna be perfect. And I'm not giving you a license to not be. I'm just saying, hey, drop the guard, drop the pride, and just know that you're never gonna live up to the standard. Jesus did because we couldn't. So truly following him is just recognizing I'm not gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna spend the rest of my life deciding to truly follow Jesus. And some of you teenagers in the room, you need to listen to me. Some of you need to decide today to truly follow, not just because your parents do, not because it's the, well, it's the thing to do, truly follow Jesus in every area. Give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. What would it look like, fathers, if instead of becoming a better husband, a better father, a better businessman or woman, what, what, if it, what if we just decided, hey, you know, Jesus, I'm not gonna be perfect and I know that, but you've paid the price for that. My old self is crucified. So I'm gonna live large in you and I'm gonna truly decide to follow you. No turning back, no turning back. I believe this. You'll be a better person. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better father. All those things come into play when you put Jesus first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom. Jesus is the righteous. When you put him first, everything else in life falls in place. When you put him last, you lose it all, so to speak. So what? Today, fathers, just look at your family, look at your wife and say, I'm not gonna be perfect. So quit griping. 
Thank you. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'm going to be flawed. I'm going to make mistakes. But I'm going to decide today to truly follow him. Not because you want me to. Not because my kids want me to. But because I know that he's called me to. And I'm going to truly give up my own way and take up my cross daily. Guys, let's decide to do that. And then everything else will fall into place. God, you are so good. And to those of us in the room, that that father talk is not a good thing. Equating you as father is difficult for some of us because we didn't have good fathers. Because we have a strained relationship or because we have no relationship. They were absent. They They took off. And I know all the the semantics around that that are really hard, but I pray that today all of us, not just fathers, but all of us would let all the imperfections and all the flaws and everything that we were told all our lives that we would never be good enough. You're never going to meet the standard. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not have enough hair, whatever. And we've been told all these things. And then spiritually speaking, we've been beat up. Because we're like everyone else in the Bible. We're flawed. So Lord, we take that flaw or those flaws and we say, I'm gonna trade those in for Jesus what you paid for me. And I'm gonna decide today to either commit for the first time or recommit my heart, my life to truly following you this Father's Day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.